0: This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10am. Here at Worth Reality Check Radio, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. If we're very lucky in our lives, we have people that we know that, you know, if you were ever in a difficult situation in your life, you could call them and they'd be there in a heartbeat. And you also know that if they were in a difficult situation, they could happily call you and you would be there in a heartbeat no matter what. And I've got one of those fellows, and his name is Graham Gibson. And he's our next guest because I'm pre-recording this. This will be going out on Anzac Day, but this is – the day before Anzac Day, that we're recording this, and it's Graham Gibson. Good morning, Graham. Good morning, Rodney. How are you doing? I'm great. We're great mates, aren't we?
1: Long time, mate. Long time.
0: And you were a soldier?
1: Yep. Served in uh, Vietnam in 1971.
0: As a young man? Young man. How old really? were you in 1971?
1: Oh, I was just at about twenty nineteen and a half twenty yeah tell me what was Anzac
0: Day like for you as a boy growing up
1: uh well, it used to be very special um I remember my dad uh I lost my dad reasonably young but I can always remember he uh he was a royalist and uh and he used to we used to all have to be bucked in the car, my sisters and me, and we had to go to Anzac plane. That was compulsory for all us sort of ones. We had to go. And uh, and when I got in my teenage years, I used to, and I think that's where I sort of got a real fondness for the military and wanted to join. So I uh, I, I applied to be uh, joined the regular force cadets uh, in Wairu, which is a military college, a military school. And I was accepted, so uh, I uh, joined when I was sixteen and a half. Yeah,
0: still proud joining the army.
1: Oh, absolutely! I think it's an honourable, honourable profession. It's it's a shame that uh, uh, the public don't see it that way. In some respects, we uh, we don't give our young men and women that serve uh, the credit they deserve. Uh, In America, it's very much, uh, you know, uh, people tapping people on the shoulder. Thank you for your service. Uh, Mm. And it's a little bit like that in Australia and and, uh, UK. But we tend to be not the same, really. And it's a shame because the young ones uh, that are serving today and that served in my day uh, look forward to acknowledgement from uh, their fellow citizens, yeah.
0: No, and I mean, it's uh, amazing because when the proverbial hits the fan and it may not be a war, it might be like the Christchurch earthquake or COVID, uh, it's the army that gets called in.
1: Well, it, it, it always, uh, you know, the Defence Force's prime role is to protect the citizens. I mean, we have the police that do do the the, the normal routine stuff, but if there's an emergency or there is a a real serious concern. Obviously, the military is going to come in and they're two uh, employees of the state, so they're uh, obligated um, to uh, to take uh, care of their fellow citizens. Yeah.
0: And what I can't get over it,
1: Gibbo, is if you're
0: serving in the military or the police force or the first aid, you actually have to run to trouble, not run away from it, right?
1: Well, that uh, that's, applies to all the first responders, whether, as you say, Rodney, whether the police, uh, the fire service, uh, the nurses and the doctors, the ambulance, all those people. Uh, everyone's going the other way. <laughs> They're going in the direction. I, I, the I, remember,
0: I remember once going out with the ambulance and it came over the radio, there was a, a car accident and they put the siren on and rushed off to it. Yeah. And all I wanted to do was run away, because I thought I can't confront people injured on the road. Worse, yeah. and well, then that's, I that's, every day head towards it. Yeah,
1: no, that's right. And I, I think, uh, and I take my head off to the the first responders, the military, uh, the police, and all these people. I take my hat off them. You look at them during COVID. You look at them during, uh, you know, uh, White Island. Uh, the earthquakes, everything. They've always been there. And we, we actually don't give them the credit they deserve. Which is which is sad.
0: Yeah, That's and right. I, I find it a bit sad, Gibbo, if I can call you Gibbo, because you're my sure. mate. Um and thank you, Gibbo, for all that you've done for me over the years. But um I find it a, a bit sad that we have Anzac Day. And we sort of acknowledge 100 years ago and longer the World War I and the Boer War people can think about and World War Two, but they don't look around at the military today.
1: That's a, that's a big problem, uh, and it's a, a real concern to the RSA movement. Uh, and, and also to the older veterans, uh, particularly my cohort, the Vietnam veterans. We, uh, you know, people don't in New Zealand don't realise we've had over thirty-three thousand New Zealanders die in conflict. Now I'm not talking to you about glorifying war, but that that that's that's it. The trouble is, we we as New Zealand tend to be a little bit selective in our history yeah <laughs> and if we go back to if we go back to the land wars 1800 and we take it right through and so that's why we have a field up here in Auckland and it covers from the land wars right through to Afghanistan i think we have to acknowledge everybody i mean the young ones when we put the fields of remembrance in the domain in 2018 at the end of the commemoration for the 100 years uh, of the first world war You know, the young ones couldn't believe there was a field there and it was uh, six mothers that lost four sons. Behind that field was another field of 57 mothers that lost three sons. Behind that field was 584 mothers that lost two sons. So you had a field of 18,277 young men and women who never came home. Now, that's a big sacrifice. And I can remember some young students out looking at that field. And they said, Oh, this is, does each cross represent somebody? And I yes, it does. And uh, they said, oh, That took a long time. How did you do that? And it took, uh, I selected uh, young recruits from Army, Air Force, and Navy to lay that field up. It took them four days to do that field. And uh, I saw the emotion. From those young ones seeing the names and laying those crosses up, so you know, we eighteen thousand. Uh, we had a population of about a million back then, and and one hundred and three thousand uh, went went overseas. Eighteen thousand two hundred seventy-seven never came back from there. You know, that's got to mean something, and so it is important that we honour service and sacrifice. Uh, and then you take it, uh, you know, forward. I mean, we lost people in Korea and the Second World War right through. But the more contemporary, the younger veterans. Since the end of the Vietnam War, there's been 17 killed on active service. Uh, Ten in Afghanistan, five in Timor, one in uh, Bosnia and one in Kuwait. And uh, I think it's important that we 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 recognize them, and that's why I instructed the museum to wall Memorial Museum on the Hall of Memories. There's seventeen names next to the Vietnam veterans, and it's important that they are there, and they have their place, and they take their place.: Absolutely, yeah.
0: absolutely Gibbo. And um six mothers lost four sons in World War One.
1: I heard a little story, uh, and it was was third party, fourth party, but I've heard a little story about one of those mums, and I won't mention any names, but uh, the postie in those days, the posties used to ride their bike and come, and when they had that letter, you know, advising them their son or their daughter had been killed, uh, if it was just a normal letter, they'd put it in the mailbox. But if it was one of those special letters, they'd put their bike up and they'd go and knock on the door and hand it, you know, with respect, you know what I mean? And across the road where where they were living, the, the people would be watching where the postman stopped and got off his bike. And as soon as he went, then the neighbours would go across the road to, get, to give the lady support, right? And in one of the cases of the, the mothers that lost four, the postie, after he'd done three, he had done 3 could not do the fourth one. So he went down to the local alehouse and got his mate to do it, and he sat in the alehouse and got drunk because he didn't have the guts to go to that door for a fourth time and give that lady that envelope saying, you've lost your last son. Mm, interesting.
0: I believe it, can you?
1: <laughs> no, you can. And I mean, I I think one of the things that all New Zealanders should realise um, we're the greatest casualties. We per, per you know, if you look at the percentage of people we send, and, and our we've punched above our weight for over a hundred years for other countries, for our friends and and, and support of uh, a, a common cause, a good cause, all around the world. And so, New Zealanders actually, when they look at soldiers, young men and women in uniform, they should do with a certain amount of respect because we have a, a tremendous reputation around the world. Indeed. For the professional way we do business, we're seen as compassionate, very, very highly professional, and do an outstanding job. And uh, and it's important now because you know, as you know, the military has got some got some uh, some issues with retention and all that. It's very, very important that uh, for what the military have done, we should get behind them. 100%. We should, we should support them because they are, the uh, our, in a lot of ways, they do what other people don't want to do. Yes. They go in now, harm's way. <laughs>
0: tell me, Gibbo, you say yeah. um, men and women didn't come home. Yep. Is that a PC
1: thing or tell me about the woman that lost their lives? There is a, there is a number of uh, women in the First World War. I think there was 10 nurses on a ship that it was torpedoed and blown uh, and the, they uh, they died uh, on the ship. Uh, I mean, I think really now, and, I, and I've recently seen women that are in service and doing outstanding work, outstanding jobs, um, and and they're putting it in. There's no in the military. There's no cutting any slack because you're a female. You know, we we can't afford. We we can't afford. Sorry about that. We can't afford to be PC. You can't afford to be PC in the military. That's the problem. Uh, thing. So you've got to. Everyone's got to, We're only as good as our weakest link. So. With females and males working together, they have to all all uh, do the hard yards, and they all have to do the mahi. And uh, I, I must say, I, I'm really impressed with some of the the female military, In three services that I've seen and have come across. Very, very professional. Mm. Very, very good, high caliber. So. You don't want me to say this,
0: but I'm going to say it. You're the president of the Auckland RSA and you're the president of the Vietnam Veterans Association. You've had a lot to do with Anzac Day in recent years Um, and you organised the field of crosses, which was field of remembrance, which was just stunning when I was in Christchurch when you put the first one up in Latimer Square, Cranmer Square, Cranmer Square. Mm -hmm. And it went in... And it was so powerful an image, like you say, that every one of those white crosses represented a young life lost.
1: Yeah, a New Zealander.
0: And my little kids would look at those crosses and even little, like five and seven and eight, they looked at those crosses and it just brought it home to them.
1: Well, we worked in collaboration with the Ministry of Education and Higgy Parata, who was a minister at the time, wonderful, her and her sister, we really got engaged because they have a family connection. That's the thing with New Zealanders. We all have a connection because we're so small to some military thing in our family, whether it's an uncle or great uncle. we're We're all, all military connected in a way, right? And so... I worked with Hickey and worked with the sister April and and they, they really got the kids and the the school children involved. So we did, uh, we did 2,456 or something crosses to every primary and secondary school in New Zealand. They got 30 personalized of the men that fell in their area, right? And that never came home. And then we, Then they came to me and asked me, they said, can you do something for the ECC? And I said, what the hell is ECC? Early Childhood Centres. Oh,
0: wow.
1: So so we couldn't have the crosses with the big uh, nail and wire in the bottom of them. Imagine a two-year-old stabbing another two-year-old in a daycare centre. So we had to design a cross that was user-friendly and and kidney-proof And so we did uh, 4,600 early childhood centres and they each got three little crosses. And I had the chance to visit a couple of the early childhood centres and see the kids and they'd all made up a little, you know, area and they had poppies and they'd done a whole lot of things around and and they'd done pictures and paintings and all that sort of thing. And it was, it humbled you. It absolutely humbled you. You know, so did it work? Did the fields bring home? And the whole thing of that, when I thought about doing it, and I went out and had to go out and get the funding for it and sponsorship, and I had some wonderful sponsors. Absolutely. I'm so grateful to them. Um, and uh, the Lotteries Commission was one of them, but there were so many of them. Uh, and they not one of them refused me. 32 sponsors. And when I went into their boardrooms, uh, not one of them refused me. And and, uh, and I took a cross in there and explained to them what it was. And so we were able to get about $1.6 million to do the thing right through the country.
0: That was a wonderful effort. Yeah, 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 but what does Anzac Day mean to you now? I know you're busy yeah. and you've always got a lot of hassles on and people yeah. in the wrong place and politicians wanting to talk too long. <laughs> um, what does... And that Day mean for you now?
1: I think what it means to me is never forgetting, always remembering the sacrifice the ones that uh, went before me and also the ones that went after me and to honour, you know for someone to give their life for the service to their country that's pretty special Rodney you know, pretty special uh, we don't want to all go out there and die, you know, we want to come home of course but you know uh, in the in war and conflict and and going in harm's way, there's inevitably going to be accidents and people are going to get hurt or or shot or killed. And so it is part of our DNA. If you've ever served in the military, it's part of your duty. Even at my age and, and men that are older, much older than me, you see them with walking sticks and 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 in the, you know wheelchairs, and they come because they've got to do it for their mates. It's very, very important to anyone that's served and attested that we have to go to, a place. even during the COVID the lockdown, uh, we went up there and we laid reese uh, on the cenotaph to honour our mates, and the police were there, and they gave it happy, they gave us a thumbs up, and there were a lot of people up there, all social distancing, but we have to do it. It's part of the Part of our thing, our DNA of service.
0: Wonderful, Gubbo. Yeah. Tomorrow
1: at Anzac Day, will there be any World War II vets? Um, we occasionally get one or two. They're getting very old now. And, you know, we have to protect them uh, during COVID and everything. We We did a massive thing ringing up and ensuring that they were okay and a lot of our older veterans were, and, and their widows and everything were okay. Um, We've just got to be a little bit careful with them because they're special. It's like the first one; they're all gone now. Uh, uh, I think the last one died, you know, 18, 20 years ago. Um, they're special. So uh, we do have to look after them and make sure that they're okay. But they still want to get their medals up and they still want to come. Even the Korean veterans, they still want to be there and honor their mates. Yeah.
0: I can remember as a boy seeing, you know, World War I vets and in my little hometown of Rangura, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of them. And then the World War II vets seemed like old men to me too. Mm. And as a kid, oh, yeah, you know, old guys. You know they're just old guys to me, and the war seemed so distant.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But what you forget is that they were literally young boys and young men going off. And you realise as you get older what those young boys
1: never had. The funny thing about it is, Rodney, and I totally agree with you. But if the army bought up the uh, trucks again and said, "Who wants to?" Go again, once more around the block. I think all of them would try to get onto the trucks. And go once <laughs> <forever>. <laughs> um, it, it was an adventure. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, uh, I mean, I think we were getting five bucks danger money a fortnight uh, in Vietnam. Uh, so it wasn't about the money It was about your mates were all going, and that's what happened in the First World War. Guys, um, guys were going, so they, their mates wanted to go with them. So it, it was. Probably in the first instance, there was a, a great adventure, the big you know, adventure going into the unknown. Uh, then, the, then it sets in. And then you realise what you've got yourself into. Yeah. So, uh, but but it's, uh, it was a big adventure. And, and when you train with guys and girls, uh, obviously you want to test your skills. So, you know, uh, when there's a... Uh, uh, an operation on or something on, you want to be with your with your mates. You know that's that's how they train you in the military. You work as a team. Very it's a wonderful, team. it's a it's
0: a wonderful ethic to observe, isn't
1: it? Well, it is, uh, you know. And uh, I've seen it firsthand. I've been fortunate. You you've seen it when you were a, 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 you know a minister and also a member of parliament. You went out took the time to go out and see the troops and see what they do, the serving men and women. And, and you know, it really opens your eyes about the, the the sacrifices uh these people do and and they, you know when they go in harm's way. And that's why um, and probably the government may not like me saying this, but I'm gonna say it anyhow. I think the duty of care of any men or woman that have served in the New Zealand Defense Force is responsibility of the government. It's not responsibility of the RSA, it's responsibility first and foremost, of the government of the day. And if you send people into harm's way, you have a responsibility. Not only a legal, you have a moral responsibility. And this is one of the things, as you know, you and me, a number of years ago, did the Vietnam thing, and we did a lot of stuff to help the veterans. Uh, we got them the New Zealand Operational Service Medal and different things. And I'm very grateful to you, Rodney, for that. Um, but. They, we can still do a lot more, and you know, we can we can still make conditions of service and things better. Uh, and I'm sure the public, if they, you know, were aware of the sacrifices that are made on a young man or woman, they wouldn't have a problem with that. No, they and wouldn't.
0: Unfortunately, but you know, I I, I, I loved, and I feel it with you, Gibbo, and you must feel it with your mates. It's that sense of loyalty to each other.
1: Comradeship, yeah. It's it's about the bond. I mean, they say, in a funny sort of way, they say you've got two families. When you join the military, you have two families. You have your biological family, and then you have your other family, which is your military family. And so when a a veteran passes, uh, we have the service, and then right at the end, it's the... The RSA type thing where the veterans will come up and and uh, sometimes they carry him out and he comes back to us. You know, he, he's sort of you, you have those two, sort of two families, yes, and and uh, and, uh, and it's special. That's why you've been to a military funeral. You see things happen there that are that are quite unusual. You know what I mean in terms of the military component of it, the tradition and uh, the thing. Folding the flag, the different things—it's it's quite special, you know. But it's all I went
0: right. To, I went to a very distinguished person's funeral, and his RSA colleagues, his RSA family turned out.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And his war record was read out. Yep. Very, very moving. Yeah. Do you know, none of his family knew.
1: Well, it's... uh, I said to the
0: family, to the widow, gee, I knew him for so long and I never knew he served, she said, nor did I.
1: A lot of, uh, and it's been, I think, one of the failings of the RSA, and, and I say this in the nicest way, and I remember you telling me this one time in a coffee shop uh, in uh, Ramira. And you probably don't remember it. It was 2003, and you sat me down and you said, come on, I love the veterans, respect what they do, but sometimes they're their own worst enemies. And that's probably true. We don't necessarily sell ourselves and promote ourselves well. You know what I mean? No, you know
0: really, what about? I know I know. I remember that. I remember that coffee shop and that moment. Yeah. Um, with a great clarity because I was dealing with as an MP people's problems and woes, yeah. and I treat them all seriously. Yeah. And then through you, I met the Vietnam veterans who without doubt were among the most wonderful people I've ever met in my life, given their values and their ethics and their attitudes. Yeah. And were people who had suffered terrifically with the aftermath of war and yet had never complained Gibber. And wouldn't no. make a fuss wouldn't want to put anyone out. And that was what I was saying. Yeah. Because it was hard for a Vietnam veteran to even say they needed help, Gabo.
1: Well, absolutely. They never put their hand up. We tend to be a little bit slow in putting our hand up. We're quite proud. Uh, you look at any veteran, uh, male or female, they're quite proud people and uh and they can be quite private people also. And they don't like talking about the war too much. When they're with their mates, they'll have a bit of a, and having a few beers, they'll talk about the good times, and they'll talk about the funny times. And there's always good times, funny times, and there's bad times. Of course, the loss, sad loss, and all this. But we we probably, we we don't showcase who we are. And it started with, in the First World War. When the First World War men came back and they established the RSA, and it was the mates looking after mates, mates that were out of work, mates that were struggling a bit, uh, they'd all get in and help, whether it's doing firewood, doing whatever, whatever, doing those small things, or so mate didn't have any money, they'd scout around, so his kids had a, had a president of the tree, you know what I mean? Um, because they didn't know what to do. Fitting back when you've been in that situation, it's like a young man in service who's been in service for 20 years and he gets out in Simi Street. It's quite a can be quite a scary uh, experience, you know what I mean? Yes. And so if you go back to the First World War, when they came back, and then the Second World World started, and then the, the men from the Second World War come back, the, the old First World War were a bit hard on them and said, well, you've never be, really been in a real war. You know what I mean? And that sort of continued on. And and I must say, in a lot of instances, not in all, but a lot of instances, that's how the Vietnam veterans were. I remember myself having a bad experience of trying to join an RSA and, and people, Second World War guys walking away from me. Um, you know, basically, you lost the war, you know, or whatever, whatever. Um, so really, we've never really got over that, and so it carries on. And, and I can understand fully the young, younger veterans that come after me, how they sort of don't know where they fit uh, in terms of the RSA, and, and we need to do a lot more for them. We need to ensure that they. Uh, what happened? The lessons learned from Vietnam should never happen again, Rodney. And I mean, well, let's, you, let's okay. talk about let Talk about that
0: because it is a. I know it's Anzac Day, but it is a thing of shame that we need to acknowledge so we don't do it again. What was it like for the Vietnam veterans coming home, Gibbo?
1: Uh, It it wasn't good because, uh, if you remember, the parades, the protests, and and that sort of thing, and that's one of the reasons I got out because I just we felt they didn't know what to do with us, and we sort of felt. Uh, and a lot of guys did get out. Uh, you know, a lot of guys suffered very badly with PTSD and different things. Um, it wasn't nice. I think, I think uh, as a nation we've matured a little bit, and and with uh, the establishing and setting up and the apology to the Vietnam veterans, which uh, Helen Clark, to her credit, did, and and, uh, and we went through that whole healing process. I think that went a long way to fixing up a wrong, and then we established the MOU, which is operative now, and I'm very much involved in that, where the government have a certain duty of care, and certain conditions are laid out that the Vietnam veterans, and particularly the children, because you know firsthand, Rodney, uh, a lot of the children were affected by their their father's service in Vietnam, uh, both uh, some of the medical conditions that they had. By Agent Orange and all this, uh, they still suffer to this day, right? and we both know that personally, right? Um, and I know a particular veteran, I won't name him. Uh, you met him, and, and it was it was quite sad that um, you know that uh, they were we were, were treated that way. What should have come out of that, I believe, is the lessons learned from Vietnam, and we would ensure that we'd never allow that to happen again. Never. Uh, never, never and it uh, was
0: I recall, Gibbo, you telling me a story, and I've, the details are hazy, but wasn't it you weren't allowed to mix with the other
1: troops or something or given No, him- we we were advised not to wear our medals when we got home. And when we when we arrived, my this is only my little experience. I mean, guys had different experiences. I can remember I have four sisters. They're all older than me and and my mother and my father had passed, and uh, they wanted to take me out for a meal in Auckland, because we were arriving and we arrived at night, and we were told don't wear your medals, or don't, you know, just low profile uh, And but everybody knew that the there was a, thing, a flight coming back, so we tried to get a meal, and we went to about four restaurants, and they uh, said, oh no, we're full and we knew they weren't full, or oh, do you have a booking, so we ended up Having having a serious sandwich or some sandwich on the side of a road, yeah. So that was my, uh, but uh, but
0: that was know. because two things: one, they could identify you because of your haircut.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, and a
0: military, not... a young military man looks army through. And through.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, and I second
0: mean... of all, there was a total. Well, the government was embarrassed.
1: Yeah,
0: and the public were whipped up to
1: protest you, right? And it was also in some RSAs. Some RSAs were very naughty, uh, the way they treated the Vietnam veterans, when they came back and tried to join the RSAs. So, but, you know, we can go on about this, but, you know, uh, I'm bigger than that, and and most of my veteran co or Vietnam veterans, are. are bigger than that. So we've moved on. Uh, yes, we remember it, but um, I think it was, um, I think because the Vietnam War was was in the living rooms, you know, it was Walter Cronkite, uh, you saw it, you saw the casualties, you saw the drama unfolding on televisions and all this type of thing. So, um, it was much more publicised than a lot of the other things, so that worked against us. Um, and of course, you had the anti-Vietnam movement here, and uh, but I mean, I think um, with Jerry Matabarai, um at the Basin Reserve apologising to us, and it probably meant more than Helen Clark. I think when Jerry, uh, who was the, the CDF at that time, when he spoke and he said it'll never happen again, I think that gave a lot of closure to a lot of guys. Yeah. Just
0: for everyone's uh, listening, if they don't know, Jerry Meda Parai was uh, the chief of the army. Was he? Did he become the chief of defence force? Yeah, yeah, he was the CDF. Officer. And he was also um, the leader of the SAS. I think.
1: Uh, well, he was in the SAS. Uh, Jerry was in the SAS, and he's also obviously, you know, he was our. Uh, he's an ex-commander general, New Zealand. Yes.
0: Yeah. And. Um, so, a big shift—a big shift occurred, Gibbo. And I got to say, Gibbo, you were no small part of achieving that on behalf of the veterans and their families,
1: because well, everyone working together. We all—we needed to do it to get closure. We needed to do it to protect our families and our children because of the toxins and the Agent Orange. So, I mean, there was a real move to to sort it out. And to fix it, and to and to Helen Clark's credit, she and you, you saw this first ten. She actually realised, finally realised, I. I know she was a protester, and I forgive her for that. But uh, she fixed up a wrong and made it right. And you know, she she, long way to do that. You got to give the lady credit. No, she did. Yeah. And,
0: um. I recall that too, because you remember we had a Minister of Defence that was more um, unwilling to help, and then um, I was coming home. We'd been hassling them a bit, Gabo, on behalf of veterans, and we were coming home, and my phone rang, and it was Helen Clark. I was in a taxi, and she said, Rodney, I can't. Mock her voice. I was just, I'm not going to, you know, like she said, Rodney, um, we're going to fix this. What do you need? What do we need? And I couldn't believe it because the Prime Minister of New Zealand was ringing a little backbench MP wanting to know what we needed to do. And I was a bit nonplussed and I said, Well, you need, first of all, to meet them. And she met and she acted totally honourable, and did everything that was needed. And as you and I well know, we just needed to ring her and it would be done.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, she, um, out of all the prime ministers, that uh, lady probably did more for the military than a lot of uh, the prime ministers And she she finally realised, and she realised it when I had that conversation with her and reminded her that she had uncles that served and uh, it wasn't the right thing to do and uh, she needed to take responsibility and need to fix it, and and she did fix it.
0: And it was interesting, Gibby, wasn't it? Because the veterans came home, broken some of them, um, injured, injured in ways that they didn't even know with the Agent Orange and PTSD that only came to the fore later on. And oh. it, in so many ways, it couldn't be fixed, but the acknowledgement, that was the healing,
1: wasn't it? Yeah, I, I think that was the, the thing that needed to uh, to, to honour the service, uh, to apologise for the way we were treated. Um, and uh, we didn't want any, uh, you know, big handouts or anything. It was about people realising, you know, Vietnam, uh, and we gave honourable honourable service to Vietnam, or to, to that thing for the New Zealand people, the public. And uh, and when you go soldiering and when you go are in service, you like to feel... That the citizens of your country got your back, you know that actually they're there supporting supporting you, and you you've got the you know you you need that you need that you can't have it where uh, divide it's divided and, and people are protesting because you feel well why am I doing this for? You know, well, you've got
0: to know that the men in your team have got your
1: back too, and oh, the abso- absolutely well they always have. But, I mean, when the public turn on you, it's uh, that's uh, a bit of a pull to swallow, right? And a lot of people took it personally, and uh, and uh, and that's the whole thing. And so it took a lot of Vietnam veterans to, a long time to settle. And uh, some of them, uh, you know, uh, a lot of them passed. Uh, I can remember being at the National Reunion uh, in November this year in Christchurch, when I took over as the national president and we, re- we read the role and, uh, since the last reunion and uh, we'd had 156 die two years. So, uh, you know, we, we, we've got a lot of Vietnam veterans. we over 3,400 served and I think we're around about the 1,900 mark at the moment. And 37
0: yeah. died there?
1: Yeah, 37 died, yeah. And we had uh, over, I think, uh, 184 uh, thereabouts, close to 200 that were wounded. Yeah.
0: Yep. Well, it was an honour for me to, through you, to meet many of them, Gabo, and they—you couldn't meet finer people. So
1: I think they made you uh, an honorary member of the Vietnam Veterans, Rally. Well, well work that you did uh, for them. I think it was done knew he had a reunion.
0: It was, Gabo, and I still, um, I've never claimed it. Yes. But it was a very moving thing to be with these finest men yes. and their families and to be admitted to the group yes. without having served. Yes. Um, it also, <laughs> also top me, Gabo. <laughs> These four guys
1: must be pretty desperate for some acknowledgement. When poor oh, no, no, we always uh, we always uh, we always acknowledge. That's why everybody uh, Judith Collins did yes. enormous, like yourself, and we acknowledge her with great respect. Uh, Alan Clark, uh, Jerry Mataparai, and there's a number of people out there that have given great service to the Vietnam veterans, and we're most uh, grateful for their contribution and assisting us in our in our journey, which has been a long one. It was a long one. It took 35 years to to get acknowledgement. Yeah.
0: Tell me, Gibbo, you're organizing the busy in the RSA for tomorrow for the Anzac Day service. Yeah. Yep. What would you like when this goes to air, it'll be Anzac Day. Yeah. Anzac Parade, dawn parade will be over. What would your message be to New Zealanders this day?
1: Uh, You know, come out, uh, bring your children out, bring the grandparents out, go to your local RSA or or commemoration service, and just stand there and and take thirty minutes of your day uh, once a it's only once a year, and just stand there and uh, have a a thought uh, for our fallen. Uh, many of them are buried in, in foreign countries. Uh, the more modern veterans uh, are buried here in New Zealand. Uh, uh, the Vietnam group that were buried in Malaysia and so on, they've been brought home. So uh, just go and think and, and uh, reflect on uh, the sacrifices that have been made by uh, by so many uh, to ensure that we we have freedom here and uh, and we uh, have peace, and uh, our people are safe, and that sort of thing. and that's and that's why people that are served go to these services because we have to. It's in our DNA, and we look forward to it. and we we polish our shoes, we put our medals up, we get in our best, we wear a tie. you know, Rodney, I hate wearing ties, and on that day, I do I wear a tie because I think it's important to be smart and to be there and to pray and to uh, honour our fallen heroes. Well, that's a
0: wonderful note, Ebo. Yeah. Thank you for that, and thank you for your service, and thank you to your colleagues, and thank you for all that you've done for our country and for our servicemen and their families. Um, it's an honour to talk with you this morning and yeah. to know you. Yeah. You with Reality Check Radio is Real Talk With Rodney Hyde. That was some real talk from Gibbo, as we know him. One of the great guys I've ever met, Graham Gibson. He's a Vietnam veteran, a proud New Zealander, proud father, proud soldier, proud veteran. And he serves still on the Auckland RSA and for the Veterans Association. And I can tell you, he has done so much for the veterans and their families in so many ways because he's a patriot and he believes in New Zealand and his ability to forgive and his colleagues, his fellow veterans to forgive because I struggled to forgive on their behalf. The way they were treated upon their return of their service was truly appalling and we, Gibbo won't even dwell on it now which is amazing to me because it was so shockingly bad. And Helen Clark said it should never happen again and I got a funny feeling in another way it is happening with some of our people that have been injured from the vaccine that aren't get acknowledged but that's for another day because today's Anzac Day. We don't pollute Anzac Day with politics or self-interest. We remember the fallen and we do so for the service men and women in uniform today and in the future, because without them, we are truly lost. God bless you, everyone. Thank you for listening. This is Reality Check Radio. Thank you for listening.
1: You've been listening to Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on RCR Reality
0: Check Radio.